be in the book of James chapter 2 today, and if you would just put a piece of paper into James chapter 2, and come with me over to John 3, I'd like to start in John 3, and then come over to James 2 in just a moment, while you're turning, I might just ask some of our uh, boys, we have a good group of boys sitting right in this area, and I'm going to give a free pass to Brother Gary and Miss Naomi. If these boys start acting up, long hand of the arm, whack them in the head, all right? Uh, last Sunday, we did a bit of whistling from this area, and I don't know who it was that was whistling, but I don't think that's very appropriate because it's very distracting. And so if you'll help me hold the whistle, and I promise you at the end of the service, you can whistle to your heart's content, all right? We're going to be in John chapter 3 to start with. Uh, John chapter 3 is perhaps one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Uh, You might remember the opening words of John chapter 3. I'd like to read them with you. Nicodemus ends up becoming a very famous man in the Scriptures. And Nicodemus started off as a Pharisee. He was a leader among the religious people of the day. And he ends up being all in, following Jesus. But he didn't start that way. And and I want you to see it in John chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 and 2, and and we'll make some comment. This is John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. His opening words to the Lord Jesus are, we know that you're from God. Nobody can do the stuff that you're doing unless they're from God. I might say it this way, Nicodemus is a believer He's seen what Jesus does. Now, notice he came at night. I don't know. Maybe his day was busy. He respected Jesus' uh, time during the day. Maybe that's why he came at night. Maybe he came at night because he didn't want his friends to see him coming and talking to Jesus. I don't know what the reason was. But one thing's for sure. When he came to see Jesus, he was a believer. However... Jesus hits him with a problem, and he doesn't know what to do with it. And this is going to set us up for our passage for today. Look at verse 3 now. Jesus responds to him. Verse 3, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? So Jesus' words, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I don't understand that. I'm going to say something right now, and I want you to grasp this. It is possible to be a believer without truly being saved. It is possible to believe without truly being saved. Or another way to put it in Jesus' words, it's possible to believe without truly being born again. Have that in mind. Come over to John chapter 8 now. Similar statement in John chapter 8 and verse number 30. In this passage, Jesus has been speaking to some people. 
And in chapter 8 and verse 30 is a statement that I think that 2023 independent Baptists would get very excited about. Let me read it for you. This is John chapter 8 and verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Remember what I said? It's possible to believe without truly being saved. And here's why I say that, because John chapter 8 and verse 30, many people believed on Jesus. Now watch verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth truth shall make you free. They answered to him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. I might want to just say, excuse me, have a look around. There are Roman soldiers here in your town. And they said, we're from Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And they end up arguing with Jesus from verse 33 all the way down. We'll pick up in verse 57. They want to argue with Jesus about we're from Abraham's lineage. Jesus continues to push back on them, telling them you can believe without truly being born again. Now look at verse 57. And then the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him the very same people who in verse 30 believed on him are now some 25 verses later picking up stones to stone the lord jesus can i say it again it's possible to believe without truly being saved many people will grasp on to the believe portion which is a very important portion of your salvation you cannot be saved apart from faith it's impossible but many time we, times we miss the other half of the equation romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that god has raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved Saved from God's wrath upon your sin. Saved from God's wrath upon you as a sinner. How do you escape that? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So often we will place so much of an emphasis on if thou believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, and we miss the other half of that equation. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and that does not say, say a prayer out loud. That's not what it means. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Can I repeat the words? I think you're there in chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews that believed on him, what did he say? If you continue in my word. In other words, confess with your mouth. Lord Jesus following you. This will make a change in my life. We've said this many times over the years, and I hope that it'll sink in this morning. Your actions will reveal what's in your heart. Your actions will reveal what's going on in your life. The actions that you are having in your life will be a Good indication of what you truly believe, for the belief that you have will shape the actions that are in your life. And and I'll say it again this morning, it is possible to believe without truly being saved. I want you to think about this, your belief will shape 
your actions. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. I want you to think this morning, are you a good tree? Not, please don't hear me saying at all through this sermon this morning, please don't hear me saying, if you're producing bad fruit, you need to start producing good fruit. No, you need to change what you believe. For if you have a change at the belief level, it will reveal itself in the fruit level. You don't sticky tape good fruit to a bad tree. It doesn't work. You need to be engrafted with the Word. You need to have a change at the heart level. Jesus says, every tree that, uh, he says, even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings forth good, uh, brings forth not good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. And you might be wondering, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, he follows it up, the very next verse. This is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He just drew a straight line from, is your life bringing forth good fruit? And if it's not, you're worth cutting down and throwing into the fire. If it is, then you are a good tree, and that's happening because there's a change in the heart. I might say it this way. I hope that your life is revealing with its actions a change that's happened in your heart. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name did we not cast out devils? And in thy name we did wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It is possible to believe without truly being saved. This is a grave topic this morning. It is sobering because you can spend your whole life hanging your eternity on a moment where you say to yourself, well, I prayed a prayer, or I walked an aisle, I shed some tears, somebody showed me some verses in the Bible, I repeated a prayer, your life has no change. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, it's possible to believe. We'll see it this morning in our passage in the book of James. The demons believe doesn't change how they act. True salvation will find itself revealed in your life by how you act. With that in mind, come back with me now to the book of James, chapter 2. Just by way of review this morning, James is writing a book. He was the brother of Jesus. He's writing to those who were his church members in the city of Jerusalem, because of persecution, his church possibly numbering as many as 50,000 people are now scattered throughout literally the known world at that time. They're scattered out to many different cities. He's writing a letter to them. He's assuming that they are saved. He knows them. He loves them. And overarching for his entire epistle is this thought, examine your faith. 
have a look, and he gives throughout this epistle, he gives ten different tests. Today we're in the fourth of those tests. He gives ten different tests, ways that you can examine your faith. And in today's passage, verse 14 down to verse 26, he's going to ask this question. Is your faith dead? Is your faith dead? Is it useless? Is it worthless? Is it unprofitable? Do you just believe, but you're not truly saved? I see three major portions in today's passage, and I'll do my best to kind of follow those three portions as we walk through. Each one of these portions ends with the same statement. I'll show them to you real quick. Look at verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. He says it again in verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? This is why I'm asking this question. Is your faith dead? And then he does it one more time in verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. He makes that statement three times. Your faith should be accompanied with something. If you're a true believer, you've truly been born again. There should be a change. That change that happened on the inside it should be manifesting itself on the outside. There should be new fruit coming out in your life. You don't want to be worthless tree worthy to be cut down and caught, cast into the fire. You want to be changed. And so three times in our passage today, he says, faith, if it doesn't have that corresponding works that's coming out, good changed works in your life, if you don't have that coming out, it's dead, it's worthless, it's alone, it's all by itself. And I think that the last verse, verse 26, gives us a really good example of how that works. You saw in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I think it's a great analogy. As the body without the spirit, I think of probably biblically the best example of that would be Adam on day six of creation. God has taken the dust of the earth, and you remember that creation moment, as God takes the dust of the earth, forms man, and there's Adam. And God's going to breathe into him the breath of life. Pneumos, it's the same word that's used here. The Spirit. He's going to breathe into him the breath of life. And can you just imagine, in that moment, God has formed man, and he has not yet breathed into him. That is a body without a spirit. Let's say for just a moment that God doesn't breathe the breath of life into him. He's just a clay statue. That's it. You and I have better, uh, have a different understanding of the body without the spirit, and that would be at a house cry. You can just imagine with me, all of us have been to a house cry, and you can just imagine you're there at the house cry, and there's the body without the spirit. Same idea. So faith without works is dead. Uh, one more example. Let's say if you had a work glove. If I brought a work glove and set a work glove up here, and that work glove was there, we would say it's just a shell. But if there's going to be any work done, you've got to put a hand into the glove. You follow me? And then the hand can give life to that glove. You would never have a work glove sitting on the workbench. You could just imagine a mechanic as he's working on the car, and he 
hollers across the workshop, hey, glove, bring me a 12 mil spanner. It doesn't work. You would not go to the house, cry, and say to the dead body, hey, we're running out of tea. Could you put some more water on the kettle? You don't do that. Uh, you, You don't look at Adam. God didn't look at Adam before the breath of life and say, name the animals. He didn't do that. You've got to have the spirit in the body. You've got to have the works in the faith. So you and I, as a transformed believer, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes who I am. And now good works come out in my life. And this faith has to have action. Other words, otherwise it's just dead. It's just a useless glove that sits there. And James says this three times in our passage. Faith without works is dead. So your faith must be accompanied with good works. So I'll walk through the passage. We'll start in verse 14. Number one thing I want you to grasp is this. Actionless faith is unprofitable. Actionless faith is unprofitable. You'll see the word profit in verse 14 with me. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? Here's a man, hypothetical man, says, here's a man who says, I've got faith. He goes, but wait a second, uh, just because he, has, he says he has faith and you don't have any evidence of it from his actions, does he really have faith and does that faith really save him? <clears throat> Some of our young people have spent quite a bit of time in learning how to study the word. I'm very thankful for that. And I think that perhaps if you're a young person here and you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, okay, maybe James is using a different word, save. Maybe the word save here means something else. I'll save you the study on it. The word that is save here literally is saved from God's wrath upon your sin. It's the very same word in Romans 10, 9. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. James is asking here, is it even possible for you to be saved from God's wrath if you just say, I've got my faith. Another way to say that, I'll translate that into today's terms. Don't you dare think that you're going to get to heaven and you're going to show your, I prayed a prayer to the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for your sins so that he could sanctify your life. Don't you dare think that you can stand before God and say, I lived like the devil, but here's my get out of free, out of jail free card. Hey, listen, examine your faith. I wonder if your faith is dead. Has there been a change in your life? There should be. And we've seen a number of evidences, if maybe you would like to see, is my faith empty? Is it just an empty glove? Is it a dead body at the house cry? Is it Adam before he's given life? Is my faith empty? Well, there's been a number of questions that have come up throughout the book of James. Look back at chapter 1 with me. In verse number 2, there was a number of questions that he's posed for us. In verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Friend, do you find it joy when God allows trials to come up into your life? Or do you buck back bitterly against the trials and you say, God, how in the, how in the world could you ever dare to bring this trial into my life? Or how about verse 19? 
Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Those are some fruits that should be showing up in your life. Because I've got a change at the heart level, there should be a change in my action level. Am I fast to speak? Am I fast to wrath? Should be a change. Verse 22. Are you a doer of the word or are you just a hearer of the word? Verse 26, and he's going to talk a lot about this next week. Verse 26, do you seem to be religious but you can't control your own tongue? How about verse 27? Do you bother to take the time to sit in their affliction with the fatherless and the widows? Or or the end of verse 27, do you attempt to keep yourself unspotted from the world? Or how about chapter 2 and verse 1? Do you try to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, on one hand while you're a respecter of persons on the other hand? These are sobering questions. Is your life now exhibiting? Are you showing out with your actions that there's been a change in your heart? Because if there's no exhibition of this in your life, if there's no manifestation of a change in your life, you're just saying, I'm a believer. It's possible to say you're a believer and not truly be saved. I wonder if perhaps instead in your life there might be evidence that your faith is empty. You say, what might that look like? I've got a couple of them I'll toss out for you. You have no desire to change your behavior. I like the way that I live my life. And I'll say what I want to say to who I want to say it. They just need to learn that I'm a short-tempered person. You have no desire to change. When you sin, it doesn't bother you. You don't care. You, maybe, maybe that sin is, is stealing. Here, I'll touch a couple of them today. Maybe that sin is stealing. And, and you know it. And there are times when it just comes upon you and you look around and is there anybody watching? I'm going to... This is my chance. I'm going to grab it and I'll go and hide it somewhere so that nobody will know that I'm getting it. Maybe your sin is stealing. You get a thrill out of that. And there's no... There's no way that the Holy Spirit convicts your soul over this. Or maybe your sin is pornography and you hide your sin on your mobile device and you look for ways to be able to sneak around and God brings up in your life God-ordained moments so that He can draw your heart back to Himself and you just look for ways to get out of those conversations. Maybe your sin is jealousy or pride and you sit around for hours just thinking about how is it that that person got ahead instead of me getting ahead. And you're going to sit there on your jealousy stool and be angry at that person. Friend, if you're a believer today, there should be evidence in your heart that you no longer have a desire to sin. And when you find yourself having fallen in sin, you find that, oh God, I'm a wretched man in the words of Psalm 51. Oh, I'm a wretched man. Father, don't turn your back upon me. I want to be with you. I want to change in my life. Maybe you have no love for the Word of God. You don't read it. You don't care what the Word says. You measure your ways of living against your ways of thinking. And you discard any counsel from, that comes from the Word of God. You hear somebody say, well, the Bible says that you should live this way. And you just say, I don't care what the Bible says. 
You see, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit that indwells you is the very same Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God. So the very same Holy Spirit that inspired the Word of God is the very same Holy Spirit that will illuminate your heart so that you will love the Word. And so if you don't love the Word, friend, I have bad news for you this morning. There's a chance that you're just saying I'm a believer, but your actions aren't revealing anything. You're a dead glove. You're a dead body. Oh, friend, I hope these are sobering words this morning. Maybe you don't follow the commands of our Lord. You know that you're supposed to be baptized after salvation. But you don't do that. You don't evangelize. You don't disciple You don't present yourself clean at the time of the Lord's table. You just think, oh, those are for super spiritual Christians. I'm just a normal person. No, wait. God's given some commands. Some certain ways that you're supposed to be living. Maybe you have no concern for the church body. Hebrews 10.25 doesn't mean anything to you. You can forsake the assembly of yourselves together. You can forsake it whenever you want to. There's no concern. Someone in the church body is in need and you just think, well, somebody else will take care of that. No concern for the church body. You have no compassion for those that are in need. You see somebody that's in need and your first thought is, well, that guy needs to go get a job. Friend, there's some ways that we should be changed. James is touching on them. Unprofitable faith is filled with empty words. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful for the body, what does it profit? He didn't write in verses 15 and 16 so that we would know that we need to help the poor. We already know that. He put these words in there with an emphasis on the things we say. That's the whole point of this passage. You say you're a believer, but your actions don't match up with it. That's the whole point of this passage. Verse 14, what does it profit a man if he says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Now verse 15, you see someone who's in need and you say to him, be warmed, be fed. Poor guy goes back to his house. He has no blanket. He has no food. Does your words do anything for him? And the answer is absolutely not. Your words do nothing empty, actionless faith is unprofitable. And he closes that section in verse 17, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead. Why? Because it's alone. It's just an empty glove. So I hope that you and I will feel this this morning. Feel this, church. Feel it. Faith alone, without works, is dead. There should be some actions that are coming out in our life Those works don't save you, but they should be evidence that you are saved. Come with me now into verse number 18. I'll show you the second section. I would title this, the second section, True Faith is Exhibited by What You Do. True Faith is Exhibited, it's shown out, by What You Do. You'll notice that all three of these statements will be the same statement, just reworded. Verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. 
Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So James gives us a hypothetical situation where two men are talking to each other. And I kind of think that James is putting maybe putting himself into this scenario where he says, a man would say to you, show me your faith and I will show you my works. And I'll tell you, I want to see your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith without saying anything about my faith. I'll show you my works. Your faith happens on the inside. A person can walk the aisle. I can pray with them on the side. They can put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But a person cannot see what happens on the inside. You see, faith happens on the inside. What is it that displays true faith? The actions that come on the outside. So James tells us, If you're going to try to show your faith without any actions, any works on the outside, that's going to be impossible. He goes, but instead, I'll flip that equation around. I'll show you that I have faith, and I'll show it to you by the works that are being done. I'll give you actions. Now, verse 19, he tells us it's possible to believe without truly being saved. And you see it in verse 19. The devils also believe, the devils also believe, and they tremble. Friend, just because you say, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and He went to the grave, and He rose from the dead, the demons watched that happen. Of course they believe. They know that God created the world. And they hope against hope that at the end the devil wins. But we know not the case. We know at the end, the Lord Jesus Christ will come victorious, and He will have a name that's above every name written upon His thigh, and He will win in the end, and Satan and his demons will spend forever in the pit that does not have a bottom, in everlasting torment. Oh, friend, and God created that place for the devil and his angels And unfortunately, those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus will go with the devil and his angels to be in everlasting torment forever and ever. And so I say with James this morning, examine your faith. Make sure that what you are saying is your salvation is not just an empty glove. There should be actions that are accompanying this. And so he says it again in verse 20. Wilt thou know? I said earlier, I want you to feel it. I'll say it now. I want you to know it, church. Know it. Faith without works is dead. We come into the third passage, the third portion of our passage. This is in verse 21. And the third statement is this. Good works are evidence of true faith. Good works are evidence of of true faith. Let's read it in verse 21. He's going to give us two examples from the Old Testament. Verse 21. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Oh, to have that title. Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. I'll leave verse 25 for a minute from now. He starts off in verse 21 giving us the first of two Old Testament examples, and that's the example of Abraham. He says, Abraham, our father, was justified by works. Let me make a statement here because I think it's important for us to understand this. If you study the Word of God, you would have come across three other places that it makes a similar statement, but it seems like it says it to the opposite. Three other places it says that Abraham was justified by his faith. And here James says it, he's justified by his works. I'll share them with you. Those three other places twice are from the Apostle Paul and one is in the Old Testament. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I want you to realize that the scripture never contradicts itself. And so whenever you find something like this, where it seems like, hey, wait, it says this in one place and something else in a different place, it's not contradictory, but instead it's complementary. In other words, they're not two statements fighting against each other. They are two statements working together. I'll show it to you in just a moment. So Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, Abraham believed... And God counted it as righteousness. He said it also in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. What says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. And then Paul made this added statement there in Romans chapter 4. He says, what saith the scripture? So what scripture is that? Well, that's back in the book of Genesis. Genesis, here's Genesis 15 and verse 6. And he's, the he here is Abraham. And he believed in the Lord he counted it to him for righteousness. So here is Abraham believing God, Genesis 15. Abraham believes God. God counts it to him for righteousness. Paul quotes that twice in the New Testament. Now we come into the book of James, and you saw it in James chapter 15 and verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? And again, I say these are not contradictory statements, they're complementary statements. So Paul and the book of Genesis say that God counted Abraham righteous when Abraham believed. And James makes this statement, how do you know he believed? Because if all he did was believe, it's an empty glove. He had to put some action to that faith in order for us to know that he actually believed God. You say, well, how's that work? I'll explain. Can you imagine with me, Abraham hears from God two different statements. One, Abraham, you're going to have a son Isaac, and from Isaac, he will become the father of many nations. You will be the father of the Jewish people through Isaac. That will happen. That's a promise. Abraham believes it. What are you going to do with that? You just receive that. Then he gets a different statement from God. And here's the other statement from God. The other statement was this. I want you to take that son Isaac, the son who you love. I want you to take him up onto Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want to see for sure that you love me above all else. Guys, let's be honest. That's a very hard thing that God called Abraham to do. Here is 
faith. Abraham gets up, says to his son, Son, we need to go and make a sacrifice up on Mount Moriah. Abraham gathers up the firewood, he puts the fire into a kettle, and he takes his son with him up Mount Moriah. And if you remember the story, he didn't tell Isaac what's going to happen before they got up there. On the way up the mountain, Isaac asks a question, Dad, I see the fire and I see the firewood, but where's the sacrifice? And you remember Abraham's words, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. What a beautiful prophetic statement towards the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And up the mountain they go, and at some point, at some point, Abraham has to tell Isaac what God has told him. And in that, Abraham is showing out his faith. You see, Abraham has on one side a promise. The promise is, through Isaac, you're going to have many children. An entire nation will come through Isaac. But on the other hand, God has told me to sacrifice my son. How do I reconcile these two? And I'm so thankful for the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us an insight into what's going on in in Abraham's mind. Here's Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And here's what's the going on in Abraham's mind. Verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whom also he received him in a figure. So here's the statement. Abraham's taken Isaac up the mountain, halfway up the mountain. Isaac still doesn't know what's going to happen. They get up to the top. Abraham gathers the stones and he puts the fire on, a firewood on the, the altar. And then he looks at Isaac and he says, Son, I've got to put action to my faith. And I don't know how this is going to work. But yesterday, I talked to God. And God told me to offer you up, son. You realize that Isaac believed God too? Isaac's young. Let's put him at 15. Abraham's 100 plus. Isaac could have outrun him. Isaac could have outpowered him. Isaac climbs up on the altar. Dad, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that you walk with God. And I know that your faith is more than just an empty shell. And so, Dad, let's do it. Isaac lays down upon the altar, and Abraham raises that knife to the sky. God, I don't know how you're going to do this. But God, you're going to have to come through in some mighty way. And so I'm going to trust you. You're going to raise this boy. And Abraham gets a call from heaven. Abraham! Abraham! The words come from God Almighty. I see your faith. And how in the world do you get to know what's going on in Abraham's heart? You don't know until you put action into the faith. There's got to be something coming out in the outside. When somebody walks an aisle and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't know if it was real. 
We don't know until you start to see the fruit coming out in their life. Then you start seeing fruit being evident in your life. You go, yes, there's evidence of salvation in that person's life. And we as a body of believers say, hallelujah, God makes a change in somebody's life. That change doesn't happen when a person says, I'm going to start being a good person. Oh no, you don't sticky tape good fruit to a bad tree. It doesn't work. But when a person says, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to take my punishment for my sin. He went to the cross and took everything that I ever owed. God has made me righteous in Christ. There's a change that happens in their life. Oh friend, know that actions are the evidence of your faith. You can flip that whole picture around of Abraham. You can flip that picture around. Abraham speaks to God and God says, I'm going to give you a son. His name is Isaac and he's going to be father of many nations. Abraham believes that. He's got a son now. And God says to him, I want you to go up onto Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, yes, I believe that. And the next day, he sits down in the tent. Isaac, let's sit here. God's going to raise you from the dead, son. Hey, mom, bring us some scones. God's going to raise this boy from the dead. They sit there and play video games for the day. There's no action to that faith whatsoever. There has to be an action that follows the faith so that it becomes evident. That action that, brother or sister, if you have hung your entire eternity upon a prayer... And there's not a love for the Word and a love for the body and a love for the Lord Jesus and a desire to follow His words. If there's not that in your life, friend, you are an actionless faith. It's dead. And it's time to examine your faith. In the words of the Lord here in the book of James, chapter 2 and verse number 23, it was imputed. So James never negates the words that were said of his faith. Instead, he adds on to it. The Scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God twice in the Old Testament. That's 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. God called Abraham his friend. What an honor. Why? Because he believed and because there was action that went with the belief. And so I would hope for you, brothers and sisters, I hope that you would see verse 22's question, seest thou how faith wrought with his works? In other words, faith working together with his actions and by works was faith made perfect. I love the hall of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, you might be familiar with it, the hall of faith and all of those people that are listed throughout Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find that every single one of them listed is listed with an action. Listen to these words. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God by walking with him. By faith, Noah 
prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, Sarah delivered a child when she was past age. By faith, Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob. And by faith, Jacob blessed his 12 sons. And by faith, Joseph commanded his children, please don't leave my bones here in Egypt. Get them out. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose the affliction that his people would be going through. And by faith, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. And by faith, Rahab hid the spies. And you see it over and over in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. By faith, an action came out. It's with the action that people get to see that faith is real. You see the end of verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. The statement I read from John MacArthur, which I just think is perfect right here, he said, a good tree is perfected when it finally brings forth fruit. You can think about that mango tree that's in your yard, if it's like the one in my yard, has not brought forth any fruit in the last eight years. Waiting on that tree to do its job. If it doesn't bring forth fruit in the next ten years, there's a good chance either it's going to be a shade tree in my yard, and I'll stop calling it a mango, or it will be chopped down and put into the fire. A good tree is perfected when it brings forth fruit. I hope that you are bringing forth fruit. There's a second Old Testament statement, example, that's in verse 25. Verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? So that's the second example from the Old Testament. I find it interesting that he would choose Rahab, great-grandmother of King David, Rahab, if you remember the story, I won't go into the details. Rahab was there in Jericho. The two spies had come into Jericho just before Joshua comes to knock down the walls, miraculously. The two spies come into the land, and she hides them in her house. They're being chased by the soldiers, and she hides them in her house at the possibly the cost of her own life. You see, spies face the death penalty. And those who aid and abed spies face the death penalty. That's global law. And here is Rahab. She has these two spies hiding here. She brings them into her house, and I don't know where she hides them. Maybe she hides them behind some curtains, or she hides them somewhere out on the balcony and throws some uh, weed over top of them. Some, she hides them away, and in come the soldiers. They bang on the door. We want to know, have you seen these two spies? And she just Come on in, guys. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't seen any spies. and no spies around here. And with her actions, you know what her faith was? Her faith was God's about to come through with His people and wipe out our city. She knows it. She believes it. And she wants to be on the right side. And with her actions, she showed that she really truly believed it. You say, but it's very possible for her to flip that equation around. You say, well, she could believe it, but for her own life. Uh, Those soldiers come and knock on the door. She says to the guys, go hide behind the curtains. And then the soldiers come to the door. Yeah, uh, I've not seen any spies around here. They're not in my house. And she's saving her own life. 
Meanwhile, hoping maybe she can just run out of the city and join the Israelites before the walls get knocked down. You see, she put action to her faith. The example is, I hope that you are not just having faith in word only. Some might say that James and Paul are at odds. James emphasizes works. I want to make a statement here, and I hope that you hear me well. In today's passage, as he has talked about works, he's never once mentioned the law. Never once. Never once did he say, you need your faith and follow the law. He didn't say that. There's going to be actions. Your life will be revealing the fact that you have faith in your life. He didn't say, go follow the Ten Commandments. Never said it. He said there'll be a change in your life. And I see Paul and James not facing each other to argue over this statement. I see them back to back facing very different enemies. The Apostle Paul was facing off against those that were legalizers that said things like, you need to follow the Sabbath. You need to follow certain dietary laws. You need to make sure that you uh, follow the Jewish customs of how you dress. And Paul was pushing back strongly against that. And you know what James is pushing back? James is pushing back against those who say, well, I prayed a prayer and I, I got saved, so I'm good to go. I can live any way I want to. And James says, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. You see, these two aren't fighting each other. They're fighting together against false doctrine. And you see in verse 26, we'll close with verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Just like Adam's body without God's breath, just like the dead body at the house cry, just like an empty glove sitting on the workbench. Without action, faith is dead. And we started our sermon with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And the Lord Jesus sat with Nicodemus and gave him some of the most profound statements about being born again. It's from that passage that we get the probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In that passage, John chapter 3, we have no idea what Nicodemus does with everything that he hears. But I submit to you that Nicodemus heard those words and trusted in the Lord Jesus. I say that because when you come to John 19, and you don't have to turn there, but when you come to John 19, we see the Lord Jesus crucified on the cross. And you might remember in that story... Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, went to Pilate and begged for the body. Please let me have the body. Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. Pilate gives permission. And if you remember what happened in the story, Joseph went to get the body and he took with him Nicodemus. Joseph and Nicodemus went to take the body of Christ down off the cross and I can think of no greater way to show that you love the Lord Jesus than for you to come and take His lifeless, covered-in-blood body down off the cross. If I could choose any moment in all of Scripture to live through, 
I think that that's the one that comes with the greatest honor. Can I, can I wash the body of the Lord? I don't know how they took the body down, but there's no way that Joseph and Nicodemus took the body down without getting that blood all over them. They bring his body down and they wash him and they wrap him. You know what Nicodemus is doing? With these actions, I'm showing you that I believe in this one. I don't know what tomorrow holds or the next day, and I, he probably has no idea what the third day holds. But one thing's for sure, on the third day when Jesus rose from the dead, I have no doubt that Nicodemus was shouting in hallelujahs. <laughs> and so I would ask you this morning, I wonder if your faith is like Nicodemus there at the beginning. I know that he's God. I believe he died on the cross. But I don't really follow his words. There's not really any action that's coming out in my life that's evidence that there's life in me. I wonder if you might fall into that John 8, 31 category. Didn't want to listen. Oh, I believe in him. But if he says something I don't like, I'll pick up a rock and throw it at him. I wonder where you find yourself this morning. Could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as you examine your faith? Whether you be in the faith or not, examine yourself. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning to the preaching of the Word. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I wonder this morning, is your faith empty? In a moment, I'll ask us to stand, but could I ask you to examine your faith? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, and is there an evidence of that? I'm going to ask it this way. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. You say, Pastor, yes, I've put my trust in the Lord Jesus. And yes, I know from time to time I fall in sin, but I know that the Holy Spirit gives me all kinds of grief over that. And I get things right with the Lord Jesus. And I'm thankful for his cleansing power. And I know for certain I'm a child of God. Would you raise your hand? Hands all over the, all over the building. I know I'm a child of God without a doubt. I'm so thankful for that. Oh, thank God for you, brothers and sisters. You can put your hands down. I want to ask it the opposite way now. Pastor, maybe I've made a profession of faith. Maybe I've prayed a prayer. Maybe I've told people that I believe in the Lord Jesus, but the evidence just isn't there. And I'm afraid this morning that if I were to be judged by the change that has happened in my life since I put my trust in the Lord Jesus, oh, I'm afraid that I would not be ready to stand before him. If you're like that this morning, would you raise your hand? I'll follow through with it in just a moment, but right now I'd like you to just be honest with yourself, and would you let me know that you're being honest with yourself? Pastor, I've not really had any change. Yeah, there you are. I see him. That's all right. Put, put your hand up. It's okay. Yeah, thank you. And now what I'm going to ask is the next step. Are you willing to do something about it? 
you'd like to talk to somebody, I've got people all over this auditorium that would love to talk with you, walk through the scriptures with you, and show you how you can know for certain that you're saved. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to stand in just a moment, and when we stand, I'm going to ask you to come. I'll meet you here at the front. I'm going to ask you to come down to the front, and then I'll pair you off with somebody. You'll be able to go to an office and sit and quietly walk through the scriptures. And I want you to walk out of here knowing for sure You've put your trust in the Lord Jesus and that there's a future for you. And so we're going to stand in just a moment, and I'm going to invite you to come down to the front. Father, I thank you for this opportunity for us to clearly know, yeah, I've put my trust in the Lord Jesus, but there's got to be some action that's accompanying this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to convict hearts right now. For in your beautiful name, I ask it. Amen. Let's all stand. All-